So go and put your hands up If you're a member of the Healthy BMI Club I took a tube out of my face today And the doctors all say I'm doing fine Yeah, I'm a healthy Hello again, friends, and welcome back to The Longest Night, which is a little show about the HBO series that's actually a very famous documentary about fictitious medieval England. I'll explain that in a second. My name is Rob. And my name's Lizzie. And together we are making our way through all 73 episodes of this famous documentary about fictitious medieval England. Mm. Um, me for what must be like the hundredth time now and Lizzie for the very first time. You can find us on Twitter at the longest night GOT. That is at longest night GOT. If you want to carry on the discussion over there um, and you can come and find me on the North subreddit too. I'm one of the moderators over there so you can drop in and say hello to me. The music that brought us in today, as it was last week, was by me, as will be the case for our episodes for the next few weeks. Um, as I've already mentioned, I've got an EP coming out in February, and I'd very much like to plug that until it's released, and it's my podcast so I can do what I want. Um, sorry in advance, but gotta make the <laughs> coins somehow. On to the matter at hand, last week we started Season 2 of Game of Thrones with Premiere The North Remembers. Um... But how has everything been since then, Lizzie? I feel like the world has changed a lot since we last sat down to talk about Game of Thrones, but how have you been personally in the interim? Well, you say that. We recorded last week after the quote-unquote insurrection. But Yes. Yeah, um, as a result and of that... And even then, I feel like we've had a year's worth of news. Oh, God, uh, sorry about it. It's only the 14th, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Madness. And um, as we've discussed... Privately, we've had a lot of um, spoiler dodging to do this week because a certain somebody in American oh, politics yeah. just sees fit to make vague Game of Thrones references that don't really relate to the current situation. Yeah, we should mention this before we begin. Um, really, Giuliani's life just keeps getting better. Like, um, this week, as you heard in our intro, um, he's referred to Game of Thrones as a documentary about fictitious medieval England. Um, when explaining why he called for a trial by combat on Capitol Hill last week. Um, so yeah, it's an odd week to hear Game of Thrones in the news suddenly again. Um, but you know what? Like, if they're going to go out, they might as well give us a few laughs before they fuck off. So, yeah. you know, we'll get some small morsel of happiness out of the shit show that they've caused. But um, anyway, I think enough about them. On with the show this week. Today, we are going to be discussing Season 2, Episode 2 of Game of Thrones, which is entitled The Night Lands. Uh, it was written by series creators David Benioff and Dan Weiss, and directed by Alan Taylor, so same as last week. Um, it was first broadcast on April 8th, 2012, to an audience of 3.76 million people. Wow. Uh, Lizzie, The Night Lands, what are we making of it this week? I'll be honest with you, this felt like a bit of a step down. I don't know if it's just because the last three or four episodes have been, you know, exceptionally good, even, you know, legendary. But yeah, this one wasn't wasn't feeling this one very much. Yeah, this is a bit of a funny one for me because I remember watching this about three years ago on my last big rewatch, and I remember really enjoying this one, mm. uh, coming away from it. But watching it again this week, um, I've watched it earlier today, actually. Um, yeah, there are a couple... I, it, I still think this is a generally good episode, and I think that it's one of those... Um, how would I put this? That when David Benioff and Dan Weiss were going to HBO trying to convince them to... Uh, you know, accept their pitch. Mm. They were saying, oh, you know, the show won't cost that much money. It's just lots of characters talking in rooms with each other. It's very intimate and personal. It's more about the characters than it is the universe, and it won't cost that much money to make and that sort of stuff. I feel like when they were lying to HBO like that, I feel like this is one of the episodes they probably had in mind where they had to keep proving to HBO that it was more about 
even though it's a fantasy universe, the pen is mightier than the sword. Mm, and this one yeah. feels a little bit more like it's way more about like dialogue and about the history of some new locations and trying to keep up with some new characters and the developments that are going on there. Um, but there are, and I think, you know, to be honest, I think it really performs its function there. There are some great scenes in this episode, but there are some proper, like, bum notes that yeah, I've for genuinely sure. forgotten about. There are some bum notes in this episode that we will get to. Um, and I feel like uh, it's not really a huge, it's not really a spoiler, but, like, the general consensus, Lizzie, as the show goes on, is that it speeds up. Yeah. And the the plot goes faster, like it just. It, and then obviously the final two seasons have got fewer episodes than the usual. But there are little bits of this that at the beginning, what the criticism used to be that the show was too slow. And I think that the scene with Daenerys feels a little bit like it's treading water. I feel like we're basically in exactly the same spot that we were last week, and. It's just that one of her guys is dead. Yeah, and pretty much. I feel like a later season would have been a bit more economical with that. Maybe cram them both into one episode or just combine them or done something different. Whereas with this, it's a lot of Daenerys' stuff early on in this season is like one scene, let's check back in so that people don't forget that she's there. Um, and so the stuff in the Red Waste this week um, was a bit... You know, it was fine. The scene is there. It performs a function. It's whatever. Um, gives us a bit more of the Dothraki culture. But I think most of the meat in this episode, for me, as a rewatcher, is King's Landing, the Iron Islands, the King's Road, and everything else is kind of box ticking, like trying to just settle back in, see where we are, what we're doing, um, where everybody is. It's fine. I think it's just a functional early season episode uh, where... Things are being placed on the board for later on, and mm. that's fine. It's just that a couple of weird, weird scenes along the way for me that I'd forgotten about, and I can't remember. I can't. Sorry, I can't believe why, how I ever forgot about some of these scenes in this episode that are so weird. Very, very weird. Um, yeah, I did note that this one leans quite heavily on the sex position, doesn't it? Some of it really works, and it serves a purpose because I think the idea. I'm not sure if they've ever given this explanation officially or publicly, but I get this feeling that David Benioff and Dan Weiss, they kind of went for this sex position thing because they must have this theory that, like, maybe most people do most of their casual talking pre- and post-coitus. And okay. so, it like, them. I think that's probably their thinking with it, that, like, they're trying to make it a very human show, and so... A lot of the information is given out during scenes where primal and human urges are, are displayed on screen. Or I think it was... I, I'm sure that must be the reason because there is a bit of it, a fair bit of it in this episode. And it's a bit like... I mean, you know, I've got no problem with like um, brutal or even slightly gratuitous stuff being shown on TV or anything like that. But Oh, no, me neither. But it's just it kind of... No. It's when it seems to serve as a replacement for you know plot development and character development it's just it's just there to kind of fill time <laughs> yeah exactly it feels a bit repetitive it feels like i mean they've coined the term sex mm. position because it's what it always relies on to give you the information it's kind of like titillating you because they know exposition is boring you don't need to see this yes blood of my blood Who did this? Called Pono, perhaps. Called Jago. They don't like the idea of a woman leading a Kalasar. They will like it far less when I am done with them. Daenerys and her Kalasar, um, they're struggling more than ever this week, uh, probably more than last week. Um, Ricaro's horse returns from the horizon, but his head is in a bag, uh, having likely been chopped off by a rival Kalasar and Eerie, one of Daenerys' handmaidens, worries that his soul won't enter the Nightlands. And that's that's it, really. Yep. Um I've I've literally written in my notes, not much happening here with a big circle <laughs> around it. Cause this doesn't really contribute to anything further down the line. There's like a little reference to the Nightlands later on in the show, I think. 
But yeah, it's not that important. And it's just like more kind of sitting around and waiting like we were doing last week. And Daenerys' screen time this season has been significantly reduced from last season. Yeah, it is it is what it is. Like, it's not bad. Uh, it just, you know, it's Game of Thrones. It's all immersive. And you forget that you're on planet Earth, wherever you are. And, you know, but like the production and the design and the acting and sound design and all that like that's all you know great but i feel like the actual content like there's not much meat on the bone here it's just like people sitting around dying slowly it's like a tease isn't it just saying oh yeah this is coming up oh there's another calisar but we're not gonna show you this week you'll have to wait until three four episodes down the line i don't know but what yeah. notes have you got? Like, what notes have you got for the Red Waste stuff this week? Well, I've got Paul Ricaro. He had just one day left until retirement. I know. Bless yeah. him. He's been Nothing. he's been with us since episode three when he whipped uh, Viserys's neck. Yeah. Kind of like yeah. And and now he's now he's now he's gone. So I mean, I suppose I'm more curious because this does go somewhere. Like Daenerys is story this season does go somewhere like she oh, yeah, literally yeah. like you know she gets on the road eventually again um so what do you think is gonna happen in the next couple of episodes for daenerys well my only other observation was that we know there's potentially a rival calendar somewhere but we don't know what they necessarily want so it's you know it's whether they know about the dragons and they want to you know steal those or what have you or they've been affected by the um by the Dothrak army before like you know we've seen in the later episodes of season one where it yeah. was it was a known thing that they had they had come in and kicked the doors down and raped and pillaged and all of these things so is it a revenge statement but yeah, it, this doesn't really give much away. It's just a case of, well, you'll have to stop by next week to find out. What is the gold clips? What with you? No idea. You're a liar. Yeah, you shouldn't insult people that are bigger than you. No one gets to insult anyone. Well, I don't care what any of them want. No goods ever come without questions. No goods ever come. Um, so on the King's Road this week, Arya is still posing as Ari, uh, an orphan boy. Um, she speaks to these prisoners that they're keeping and one of them introduces himself as this Jack and Hagar while the other one threatens her. A pair of gold cloaks from the City Watch arrive uh, with a warrant of arrest for Gendry but Yorin fends them off. Uh, only temporarily though because they've promised to return with more men and Arya then asks Gendry why he might be wanted and Gendry reveals that Ned Stark and before him John Arryn came to question him about his parentage before he died and then Arya reveals her true identity to Gendry and says I'm Arya Stark and asks him to keep it a secret from uh, the two other kids that we met this week who were Hot Pie and Lummy. I mean we technically met them in the finale but now we know their names and yeah, we don't just see them as people who are trying to antagonize Arya. Like they're people who are just like you know hanging out, traveling band, that sort of thing. Um, so King's Road, a little bit of um, meat on the bone compared to the stuff that happened in the Red Waste this week. Really big fan of Yorin's little showdown with the gold cloaks guy. Yeah, um, love that. And once it's nicked, there's no one round here who can unnick it. Um, he could shave so, yeah. the spider's ass if he wanted to. If he wanted to, yeah, <laughs> I love that. If I wanted to, yeah, spider's ass is big as hounds, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, I I did find it interesting that Arya kind of gave herself away quite early on. I know that later in the episode she obviously tells Gendry, you know, who she is, but straight away when when the um, the gold cloaks approach, she assumes it's for her. She thinks, oh shit, this is my time because I've fled the city and I'm the daughter of a traitor. It's, yeah. it's in that that moment where she realises it's actually Gendry they're after. It's like, oh shit, I've said too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she should have uh, maybe, maybe held off moving a little bit longer. But um, yeah, I think, you know, she's a kid, she panics. Um, it 
you know, it definitely makes sense. And, like, Gendry seems to imply that no one else really even cares or knows or notices. Like, no one really gives a shit. No, no. Um, and obviously, Yorin knows already because he made her Ari. But um, I think that, like Gendry says, I'm not stupid like the rest of these idiots. He said I could tell straight away. So I think, you know, because she's only really round him and because everyone else was kind of... You presume that everyone else is just distracted by the gold cloaks, that um, that's that really. But the little budding friendship that started between Arya and Gendry this week um, is really lovely, I think. It's dead special. I think it's slightly reminiscent of the friendship of Sam and John, you know, at, at Castle Black. That kind okay. of sort of mentoring the the younger one who's you know not quite as experienced and has to learn to stand up for themselves in a sense and if you think of like Lommy and Hot Pie being the the equivalent of the other the other yeah Gren and Pip yes yeah yeah where they're just these kind of outcasts and they're here because yeah fantastic they, parallels yeah they I don't know they stole a loaf of bread we've not really been told what why they're there yet um, I don't know if it's ever properly established. I think they're just orphans with nowhere else to go. Yeah, and, that, and that's and like... it sounds like they've had pretty nasty lives because yeah. Hot Pie's like the same age as Aya and he's seen someone get killed in the street and they're just poor and orphaned and they've got nowhere else to be, so that's where they're going to go, just straight to Castle Black. And as much as they're the kind of bullies at the moment, I do hope that their relationship with... You know, Arya and Gendry softens a bit because I feel like they are just they're like as you say, they're these young boys in a really shit situation being wheeled off to die at the the wall. Uh, just to go back to something you said before there about Gendry kind of mentoring Arya and telling her to do things or behave a certain way or not behave a certain way. Mm. When he says that you shouldn't insult people who are bigger than you and then she says, but I'd never get to insult anyone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh is just the so best. So sweet. Uh, I just, I mean, my my mum's car is, we, we named my mum's car after Arya Stark. She is our absolute favourite. But yeah, no, some lovely stuff on the King's Road this week. Um, I'm a little bit... I'm sure it's a different river, but, like, they all seem to go and, like, wash their dishes in the same river that Arya was squatting over at the start. I don't know if it's the same one or a different one or what, but... Or upstream or downstream. Could be one of those Yeah, I'm hoping that that's the case because, like... I mean, I know that sanitation's not, like, a big thing in Westeros, um, but... Yeah, someone could be- become very ill quite quickly. Very ill? Um, yeah. yeah, very odd. Are you drunk? Not have my honour questioned by an imp? I'm not questioning your honour, Lord Janus. I'm denying its existence. Do you think I'll stand here and take this from you, dwarf? Dwarf? You should have stopped at imp. And yes, you will stand here and take it from me, unless you'd like to take it from my friend here. Varys finds out that Shay is with Tyrion, and they exchange a couple of cryptic warnings. Uh, there's a small council meeting where some general admin is taken care of, and Rob Stark's peace terms are rejected, and um, some plea from the Night's Watch for more men has, is rejected, Um at Littlefinger's brothel, Littlefinger threatens Roz to return to work, even though she's devastated about the death of the baby uh, last week. Tyrion invites Lord Janos to dinner, where he <laughs> arrests him, relieves him of his duties, <laughs> and sends him all the way to Castle Black. Yep. Bronn then replaces Lord Janos as head of the City Watch. And Tyrion then talks to... Cersei, after sort of concluding that Joffrey ordered the massacre of Robert's Bastards, and for, I think for the first time in the show it is mentioned that Tyrion uh, Tyrion's mother died while giving birth to him. Mm. So not not just Tyrion's mother, but Cersei's mum, Jamie's mum, Tywin's wife. So that's why they all kind of quietly resent him and find him annoying. So um, yeah, what stuff do you want to take away from King's Landing this week? Well, interesting that it's the first time we've had an episode, well, in a couple of episodes, without 
our main antagonist, Joffrey. He's not yep, here at all this week. to be found this week. No, may as well not exist. Um, I did note that there was a great mm. cut, you know, from the um, the small council meeting. And, it, you know, the raven arrives. They ask for more resources at Castle Black. And Tyrion warns that the Night's Watch is the only thing separating them and what lies beyond the wall. Cersei kind of shrugs it off and says, oh, I have every faith in the brave men of the, the Night's Watch. And you, you sort of cut to the Night's Watch boys just talking about voiding your bowels when you die. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Just, <laughs> just straight, like... Boop. It's um, not something that happens very often in the show, but they do, every now and again, they do mess around with edits and cuts to be funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, th- this is one of those occasions. You're dead right. Um, but yeah, the, I think there's some good King's Landing stuff this week, but it's more... As is often the case with early episodes of Game of Thrones seasons, it's more about setting things up for later. Yeah. And so we're in the setting things up stage. Um, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it makes the end of every season just amazingly satisfying. And the last three or four episodes of basically every season, pretty much, like 95% of the last episodes of each season are just like ba 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 like a domino run like just one amazing moment after another and um i mean as we've already seen that with season 1 really where it was like lots of setup and then like somebody just lights the torch paper and it goes up in a in a second and like every season is kind of like that and with so but it means that at the start you maybe have to make a couple of sacrifices where there's a lot of good stuff this week but it's just stuff with an eye to later and you yeah. know there's like yeah. Varys now knows that Shay's in the capital um and Littlefinger and Roz's dynamic is getting explored a little bit further and Roz isn't exactly in danger or anything because you know she will be returning to work and she will just get on with it but it's about the conditions that she's working under and Lord Janos is gone now and Tyrion and Cersei are kind of beginning their actual relationship with each other because we haven't seen them properly speak to each other, you know, other no, than last week. Like we all. went the whole season. Yeah. We went the whole right. season never, never having them speak to each other. So they're kind of feeling each other out again. And um, there's some really good conversations in it. And there's a great little joke that, um, where Cersei says something about um, it all falls on me, and then Tyrion says, "Well, according to Stannis Baratheon, Jamie's fallen on you quite a lot as well." Oh, that conversation! And... My God, that that last line from from Cersei as well. So yeah, there's the the kind of um, the conversation between the two of them, and Tyrion's obviously not taking it seriously. He's he's doing his well, he's doing his usual shtick of just brushing everything off with witticisms and. Oh, he's so he's so wry and and all that. And Cersei, I think, is actually kind of admirable in that she sort of she knows how to pierce through that. She knows how to, you know, you you might think that you're this brilliant genius and and you know the world falls at your feet, but frankly, you're you're not all that you think you are. She is getting very good at ripping up pieces of paper, by the way. Yeah. Um, I think it's something that I say something that Tyrion mentions where she says, oh, he says you've got a lot of practice at that now because she's ripped up Ned Stark's thing in season one and now this. Um, and yeah. we get some more paper being ripped up at the Iron Islands this week. But um, yeah, no, I totally get what you mean with Cersei because like as much as we very much like Tyrion and we sympathise with him and he's one of our favourite characters, that doesn't mean that he can't be the way that you described him, which is that maybe he's slightly smug and he can be a bit of a know-it-all. And who is more honest to people than siblings? And Cersei just cuts him right down to size. And yeah, it's a cruel joke because it's not Tyrion's fault that his mum died in childbirth when she was giving birth to him and it's wrong that they hold it against him because it wasn't his fault. But in a weird kind of superstitious way, like Westeros is a very superstitious country and they think that like, you know, children 
spawn outside of wedlock of bastards who need different names and should be frozen out. And so Tyrion not only has been born with a disability, but like he killed his mother on the way out. So they refer to him as some, they think he's some kind of cursed little monster. And Hmm. so, you know, with that sense of morality or whatever, I still think Cersei, as you say, is entitled in this situation to hold her own. Yeah. And to come back at him with something because the stuff that goes on with Jamie and Cersei, like, it's not right, but it's also not something to be joked about because it is quite ugh. Like, the whole thing is icky and joking about something icky in the manner that Tyrion does. Um, yeah. And it means so much to Cersei and her relationship with Jamie means so much to Cersei as much as she likes to pretend at the moment that it doesn't mean that much to her. And, oh, she doesn't think about it. And um, she makes a little offhanded comment about Jamie, where Alton Lannister says that his spirit isn't broken. And she's like, yes, yes, whatever. And I think she likes to put on airs for people that she's not that interested in Jamie and that he is just her brother. They're not lovers. But when behind closed doors, Tyrion makes a cutting remark about it, she like comes back with the most devastating burn. And it's like Tyrion must be a bit like, oh, touched a nerve, have we? So, <laughs> well, it's it's a continuation of last week, isn't it? When Joffrey did exactly the same thing, and yes, it, it's just yeah, you know that point where you've 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 uh, crossed the line with her. She's not mm. just gonna stand there and listen to that. She will, you know, she will bite back if she has to. Yes. Um, the lion will rip your balls off, as the the bard said in yeah. the uh, last episode of the first season. But yeah. um, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about what happens in the brothel this week, because there are a couple of great little sequences, I think, in the brothel this week. And then there were some shots where I'm just like, oh, come on. <laughs> There's some really weird shots. I think this entire scene... As much as you know, the dialogue between Baelish and Roz is is a good one. It's still, I, d- I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on what it is about this scene, which is so discomforting. <laughs> well, there's that amazing opening where there's the guy watching the other guy, mm. and then Littlefinger's watching the guy who's watching the other guy, and they've all got these little keyholes and all these little eye holes that they can like peer through. Um, I was going to say, don't we cut to this scene from Theon and... It's one sex scene to another. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I, that did make me laugh. That was like this really kind of horrible scene where this poor woman's face is like being shoved up against the camera because Theon pays absolutely no mind to how she's feeling. And then it, we cut from mm. that to this basically the same thing, but just in a different um scenario (laughs) because uh, brothel brothel kind of pretends that it's classier but then the conversation with littlefinger and roz there are some shots where you don't actually see littlefinger's mouth he kind of moves in so close that half of his face gets blocked behind like her shoulder or her neck and yeah again you're watching from a fixed point of view through a little eye hole and you're kind of listening in on these whispered conversations and that side of it I, I I thought was excellent this kind of level of intrigue and mystery and stuff like that I could have done without though the bit where the woman the the I forget her name the other sex worker that gets picked up to replace Roz essentially well, like, oh yeah, yeah. She, oh, she walks up and there's like stuff dribbling out of her mouth, and oh, and Littlefinger yeah. like dabs yeah. it down with a towel, and then she starts tonging the other bloke, <laughs> and like it's it's hysterical, but like it it is a bit like again, I have no, I'm not a prude, but like it's and like I'm fully into the idea of. I mean, this debate goes around Twitter every now and again about the purpose of sex scenes and the validity of sex scenes and stuff like that. And I find it all so Mm. stupid and I find it all so like borderline puritanical. But and there are later examples from stuff that happened in the show that we'll get to where the sex scenes went too far in quotes and there were huge public outcries about them that I never quite 
personally understood, but in scenes like this, it just felt like a joke. It just it doesn't feel like it's being treated seriously, that bit where Littlefinger's dabbing no. her mouth. And it's a shame no, because that... I don't think the tone is judged that well against what I thought was an excellent scene with Littlefinger and Roz. Oh, yeah, and obviously coming off last week's events, there's you'd expect there to be like an air of mourning and mm. just general discomfort. Yeah. But there's, it's that fine line between kind of hedonism and seediness, and I think they just slightly kind of crossed it a little bit too much. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I think, to be honest, this show does push that boundary um, I mean, to be honest, I think this show yeah. makes absolute... This is why I always find it so stupid that it gets compared to, like, Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and Marvel <laughs> movies and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is an 18. Not, I mean, not, not only yeah. is it a TV show, but it's an 18. It's about being provocative and it's about being transgressive and it's about pushing buttons and challenging people and... People go on about, like, Game of Thrones being, like, this super serious prestige drama with, like, these very, just these elegant sweeping stories that just are defining a generation and whatnot. And, yeah, that's probably all true. But at the same time, like, like, it was described once by an actor who turns up later in the show. Mm. It was described as, he just said, it's tits and dragons. What? (laughs) Well, I mean, and it kind of... It, it's it more is. than that. It is more than that. But, like, I love that it has that too. And these scenes are kind of part of it, I think, where I think it is willing to... It's willing to push buttons. It's willing to titillate and provoke and seduce. And it's willing to try to in, awaken in people things that aren't often awoken in people by television quite so frankly and quite so starkly. And yeah. sometimes I think they do just push it a little bit too far to the point where it doesn't feel serious because there are some scenes in this show where they'll use sex or extreme violence or something and the point and the message that comes with it smacks, like it really hits. And this is something that happens in the first season, the second season we're watching now, all the way through right to the end of the show where they'll really try to push you on something and they'll try to challenge Mm. you on something and they'll try to show you something that you've never seen on television before. But every now and again, they'll just misjudge it, which means that the message that comes... Like, what comes from that scene where Littlefinger dabs the... It it is sperm that he just dabs off her mouth. And... I'm not sure what comes with that beyond the fact that, like, they have to withstand physical... Like, they have to endure horrible things in there. And it's like, you're making this point with the Roz scene. Like, this just feels like an uncomfortable moment where they've tried for something and it feels like they've just missed the mark. And there's there's another scene later on in the episode where I think they kind of get it a bit wrong as well um there was, there was something quite early on which i had noticed that there was a lot of fish pie references and i know you're a peep show fan season three episode one we've mentioned this before it's when mark gets mugged oh yes it's um so he's going on a well not a date but a night in with sophie and he says fish pie then missionary sex and news night <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i do remember and, now um yeah, yeah a couple of scenes later it's like oh it's a lovely fish pie mark <laughs> <laughs> Um, And before we leave King's Landing, I do want to mention uh, Podrick as well, who has been introduced. He's Tyrion's squire. Hmm. Um, He's fun. He pops in and out every now and again, but he's always fun. Spilling wine like the pros do. My little brother has 100,000 men, according to the scouts. Men whose allegiance rightly belongs to me. You must have faith. I cannot defeat my brother in the field. And I can't take King's Landing without the men he stole. First, you must give yourself. We get on to Dragonstone this week, um, and Stannis has hired uh, the pirate Salador San to escort him to King's Landing with the help of Davos, who's known Salador San for about 30 years, so that when the time comes to lay siege to King's Landing, um, he's got boats that will take him there. Mathos. 
uh, tries to convince Davos to learn to read so that he can learn the words of the Lord of Light himself, but to no avail. And later that night, uh, Melisandre kicks Davos and Mathos out of the room and seduces Stannis, and the two of them have sex on the painted table, despite Stannis's protests that he has a wife, and Melisandre convinces Stannis that she will bring him a son. Um, you messaged me earlier this week saying that you were having a little bit of trouble with the Dragonstone stuff this week, so... Yeah. Let, what did you have trouble with this week? I think it's just because they're still fair. Well, they're new names as of an episode ago, and I'm still not. I, I don't know if, if I quite follow their intentions in a way. Whereas you know the opposite, of which is like the Iron Islands this week. I know straight away what you know what their aim is, what their ultimate goal is. Right. It's. Um, I don't know. I think it's more just we had that discussion last week that I don't think the the their plotline has been particularly well explained in the show. Basically, I don't know if you have any questions that I f- hope that I I can answer and maybe clear things up for you a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm struggling to think of one. I think it's more just I know that Stannis Baratheon is seen as the rightful heir to the throne and all that, but there's also the stuff with. Melisandre, which I don't quite understand. Like, why would they... What, what is so important about them having a son that is so kind of irresistible to him? Well, uh, she kind of explains beforehand that Stannis's wife is kind of sickly and hasn't produced mm. an heir for him. All of her children seem to die in childbirth yeah. they're all stillborn so it's kind of like she's barren essentially so Melisandre's like I can give you a son you'll have a line of succession but the Lord of Light angle is basically that they think that fate is on their side she's kind of Melisandre's got her own power games like she wants power just as much as Stannis really but she okay. is basically convincing Stannis that she's the right person to be an advisor she whispers in his ear um, because she thinks that she's got the Lord of Light on her side. Um, so, like, okay. the Lord of Light is, like, this god figure that they think exists, probably exists, but we don't know whether whether it exists, like any god. Um, and they think that that's, like, the right god to follow. But, again, this is stuff that maybe if you're familiar with the whole show or, like, the books at this point, you would get... Uh, again, this is stuff that I think the show would assume about the audience at the beginning, that maybe mm. it would trust it a bit less um, in later seasons, where basically the religions in Westeros are the old gods, the new gods, and Faith of the Seven. They're like the accepted religions in certain regions of Westeros. But the Red God and the Lord of Light, which is the same thing. Sometimes you refer to him as the Red God, Lord of Lights. It's the same kind of deity that they worship. Um, That's an SOC religion, so it's a foreign religion. And so they burnt the statues on the beach last week um, to kind of say to the Red God, look, we know we're in the wrong place for this religion, but we've sworn off the false gods and so right. we're giving you the real... We're going to follow you. You're the real god. And Melisandre is a priestess who doesn't speak to the Lord of Light. The Lord of Light speaks to her, so she says, through fire and through flames. Um, and, I mean, any kind of sensible person like Davos would... Be, I think Davos kind of knows that it's all kind of horseshit, really. Um, yeah. But... Or, like, doesn't know that it's horseshit, but kind of thinks that it's horseshit because he's not much of a learned man and he doesn't want to read the texts. He just follows Stannis. And so, you know, he's kind of caught between wanting to just kind of follow Stannis into battle, but also having to put up with Melisandre. Um, And so Melisandre is basically convincing Stannis that the Lord of Light is the god to follow because the Lord of Light is the god that will give him the Iron Throne. Yeah. That's basically it. Um, but 
the stuff, the sex on the painted table is just strange. I feel like it's, I, f- I felt like it was one take away from being done. It felt like a dress rehearsal. Um, it's very strangely yeah. staged. Very um, sudden, isn't it? Yeah, which, you know, whatever. Karis Van Houten's really hot. I get it. But like, hmm. yeah, it's it's a bit weird. Like, I think it's supposed to explain how far in Stannis is with this. Like, he's just, it's a bit of a sunk cost fallacy. He knows that he's far in with it. And so he's just going along with it. He's never had any kind of look before. He thinks that this is the ticket to the Iron Throne, whatever. It's it's stuff that gets better and clearer as the show goes on and as things happen and as the season goes on. It becomes easier to work out yeah. what it is. But it's basically Melisandre's popped up. Her and Stannis know each other from somewhere. Like I, I forget where their history starts. I'll look that up for the next time they're in an episode. Um, mm. And... So he's sworn off all the gods of Westeros. He's adopted some gods from Essos. Um, and Davos has gone hiring a pirate so that they can actually get to King's Landing from Dragonstone. Um, yeah. And they can escort. You've, yeah. You've explained it better than the show did. I'll give you that. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's something that... Thanks for that. It's something that I think for new watchers, it's a bit like... Uh, what? This is weird. And mm. to be honest, it's something as well. Stephen Delane, who plays Stannis, um, apparently, like, um, he's never had the highest opinion of playing Stannis. Um, mm. He's always been a bit up and down about how much he actually likes the role. Um, and I feel like at the beginning, I think you could see that he was a bit... I think he's confused as well. I'm not sure he knows what he's doing at this stage. I feel like he's just reading lines. A little bit, yeah. But then that's... I suppose it's kind of fitting for his character because he is just following Melisandre's wishes, in a sense. It's just like, well, she said it, so... I don't know, it must, must must be the right path. Yeah, exactly. I think it's kind of making the point that even though he is the rightful king... Is he really in a position where he knows exactly what he's doing? Should he be? Yeah. Should he have this much yeah. responsibility? So like, it's there, and like, there's definitely good content. It's just taking its time to get like a lot of stuff at the start of season two. I mean, I did say to you at the end of season one that season two is more of a slow burn, mm. and this is, we are still in the slow burn. I think that. It's yeah. just taking a little longer to click into gear because we've started again and there are new things that are being uh, set up. I did um, I did want to mention that we do see Davos in his smuggler salesman mode that he was hmm. uh, in the past where he was a bit of a salesman and he does some good little psychology on Salador San. He appeals to his ego like any good salesman yeah. does. Then Mathos, who is also far in with the Red God as well, he doesn't really convince Davos to learn to read or anything like that. So yeah, there's some you know there's some stuff going on at Dragonstone this week that's more rewarding for me because I've seen all this and I know how everything ends, um, and so everything makes sense to me. Uh, but for new viewers, I feel like the show is still having to juggle its former self with the magic that's creeping in to the show so and also another thing we didn't see this week just having thought about it in terms of magic coming into the show we didn't see any dragons this week no so i imagine daenerys's limited screen time at this point in the show might be to do with budget reasons Quite possibly. Maybe they can't afford to have the dragons on every week just because they're there. So it could, mm. it could be something to do with that. And I feel like with the Red God stuff, it's just it's stuff that comes to like not just Red God stuff, but just magic in general and like the fantasy elements. Like they really grow throughout the show. I feel like that's one of the most well handled aspects of the show. The way that fantasy isn't just thrown at you, it gradually bleeds into the show as time goes by. And it reveals yeah. itself very slowly. And this is just the beginning of something very large and very rewarding, but you have to kind of put up with the slower stuff at the beginning, is, is what I'd say. If you stick it out, you will be rewarded. They took a frightened boy. 
What have they given back? A man. Your blood and your air. We shall see. Stark had you longer than I did. Lord Stark is gone. And how do you feel about that? So, we move to the Iron Islands. Another brand new location. We had Dragonstone last hey. week and the Iron Islands this week. So, Theon gets back to the Iron Islands where he doesn't exactly get a hero's welcome. Kind of quiet. Uh, but a woman turns up and says, Ah, oh, I know who you are. You're Theon. You're a prince. I dig you. I know you. You're cool. And Theon is riding on horseback with her and he starts to play around in her clothes. And then he gets back to the castle and Balon Greyjoy's like, ah, what kind of son are you? Blames him for, I don't know, being like eight years old and having to live with the Starks or whatever. Rejects the proposal to join Rob Stark's forces. Uh, then it turns out that the woman that came to meet Theon and was like, hey, Theon, I dig you. And yeah, we're going to tell my grandkids about this night. Blah, blah, blah. Turns out to be his sister, Yara. <laughs> um, and after they have a little like, oh my God, it was Yara. Um, and Yara's in charge of our fleet and Theon, you're useless. Pay the iron price for something, etc., etc. Um, he implies, uh, this is Balon Greyjoy, he implies that he will not join with the Lannisters and he won't join with the Starks. So what's he going to do? And mm. so uh, I think the Iron Island stuff's really good this week. I like the Iron Island stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um... First time Theon's had to carry a storyline on his own and I think he does it very well. He does, and yeah, um, and quite, you know, there's some, again, like, dark comedy elements, you know, him turning up on the island, it's like, it's me, uh, <laughs> Theon, <laughs> just like, blank stares, like, no, I don't know who you are, mate, sorry, and then, yeah, obviously all the stuff with, with Yara as well, oh, God, the poor sod, would you not recognise your own sister, though? Well, there's a funny little story about um, Yara. Um, because Theon Greyjoy is played by Alfie Allen, who yeah. is Lily Allen's brother. Wait, what? Really? Yep. Yeah. Do you remember the song? Oh, I didn't know um, that. Do you remember the song Alfie by Lily Allen? Yeah. That's that's about him. Wow, small world. So yeah, exactly. And after this episode aired, Lily Allen went to the press and said, "Oh, um, yeah, that that was um, that was supposed to be me. I auditioned for that role." And then Alfie Allen went, "No, this isn't true. That that, that never happened." So there was this back and forth in the press about whether Lily Allen had ever auditioned for this role to play Alfie Allen's sister in the show, um, and it turns out it wasn't true. Um, but yeah, that was a fun little press anecdote at the time. But, yeah, um, Iron Island stuff this week. Uh, we get introduced to Balon Greyjoy as well, by the way. Not yep. just Yara Greyjoy, but Balon too. Uh, what do you make of Balon? He's intense, isn't he? Yeah, greasy as shit as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you make of the Iron Price stuff? Like, the values of the Iron Price um, and what that means? Like, I don't know if you took anything from that. I no, I, well, I don't really have any notes about it because most of it is just about the um, the kind of revenge plot that really we should have seen coming. You know, there's all this stuff in season one about the failed rebellion, and it's they, they would obviously want to um, try again. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course, to to make good on their previous attempt, especially now with a weakened Stark army, we would think because obviously there's no Ned around, but also at the minute they're kind of they're they're taking the Lannisters to school. They're you know, they're making their own way. Well that's another thing as well, is that not only is the Stark army a bit weaker, should we say, they're not even there. They're in the south. No, of course. So, so... it's like it's like an open goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like if the Starks lose the war, then what good is Winterfell? You will then have to fight off the Lannisters. And everyone in the North who is uh, 
loyal to the Starks as well. Yeah. Yeah, the Greyjoys are, um, and the Ironborn generally, are quite kind of... They are described in a later season as angry, bitter little people. And I think that they do have this kind of small dog complex where, like, they feel like they have to stake a claim for something. They, they're not just happy on their islands. Mm, they're like, yeah. they've got they've got to, like, go and do something. Like, they, it's in their nature to reeve and rape, as the captain's daughter says, um, at the start of the uh, the little bit with Theon arriving at uh, Pike. Um, I don't know if you took any notes about the captain's daughter scene with Theon on the boat before he actually gets to the Iron Islands. Uh, well, not really, but can can you tell I wasn't a fan of it? Yeah, it's... I mean, it's there, it's fine. It explains that the Greyjoys and the Iron Islanders are the way they are and that they're Reavers and Rapers. I don't know why we have to suffer through another sex scene to do it. And I've just said, you know, in, in the podcast, I have no issues with that kind of stuff at all no it's never no, bothered it's... me um but in but... an episode where you've got like four of these scenes it feels a bit much yeah um it is a bit repetitive and maybe a yeah. little bit unimaginative as well um to have him maybe like i don't know they could talk to a captain or something he could be on the ship he could be yeah. talking to the guy bringing them into dock or something but uh, no, we get to watch him kind of brutally have sex with this woman. So as much as I can feel sorry for Theon and his bad day, you do have to remember that he is kind of awful. Oh, he's a dick. Theon's a dick. Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We're, we're, we're going places with Theon anyway. We are actually going places with him. Like He's back home now and he's got some family issues to sort out. So we'll see how he deals mm. with those. We have to take him with us when we leave. What? No, it sounds a bit mad. No, it doesn't sound a bit mad. It's impossible. The local commander all We are sworn to protect. Sam, we can't take him. Please, a... sir, please. I can still run if I have to. It's just not possible. I'm going to have a baby if it's a boy. So, finishing off this week, we are at the furthest northeast point of the map, which is Craster's Keep. Uh, Sam has to stop Ghost from bothering Gilly for food. Uh, Gilly says that she wishes to escape Craster's Keep because her unborn child might turn out to be a boy and she's worried about what might happen to it, though she doesn't say what she's frightened of happening. John then argues a bit with Sam about being unable to take Gilly with them, but then later that night, John sees Craster taking uh, Baby into the woods and he follows he follows him and witnesses Craster leaving a baby for the White Walkers to come and retrieve. Uh, John tries to rescue the child, but Craster surprises him and bops him on the head in a kind of hackneyed cliffhanger. So um, it's fine. It's it's good stuff at Craster's Keep this week. I think like generally, you know, pretty solid stuff. I've uh, got a new character with a new name, Gilly. Yep. We met her last week. Um, she's another person of the she's another member of the Skins alumni to make it into Game yep. of Thrones uh, I, I have exactly that note yep. yeah. Cassie. got old Cassie from Skins um, got over her eating disorder and all the stuff with Sid and she's <laughs> gone to Craster's Keep and she's having a child who she's worried might be a son yeah Sid went to New York she went to Craster's Keep <laughs> exactly and I think we know we've got the better end of that deal but um <laughs> So yeah, there's some. I think there's some good stuff. I think the main thing to take away from Crass's Keep this week is that John is a little bit of a hypocrite because, with regards to Sam wanting to take Gilly and rescue her from yep. Craster, he's like, "Keep your nose out, keep your nose out, leave it, leave it, leave it." And then when he sees Craster taking the baby into the woods, he doesn't listen to his own advice. No. And no. so yeah, John's a hypocrite. <laughs> yeah, so so it's like at once in the first instance he realizes that he can't just be one of the boys. He if he's going to be the you know the heir to Jor, mm. he has to you know um, not necessarily do the right thing, more do the the sensible thing. Yeah, he's got to be professional. Yeah, because otherwise you know at best it would make Jor 
furious, and at worst, he'd get his hands cut off or he'd be killed. But like you say, later in the episode, he just he throws that advice out the window because hey, there's a there's a baby and some some white walkers. I'm John, and I've got to go and rescue everyone because that's my job. <laughs> yeah, no. God bless John. Um, I love the little conversation at the start, by the way, where they're chopping up potatoes, and I love that line for some reason. There's something so poetic about it where Sam says, um, "There's nothing like the sight of a woman walking away." Like, I just, I think it's like, it's, because yeah. it, it's so sad, but at the same time, he seems to find so much happiness in that image. This <laughs> idea that he's someone who just prefers to kind of stand back and admire and to kind of smile about the form that a body takes. And yeah, no, I, I just think it's really pretty. It, it's a lovely little line and he's such a bloody sweetheart and like that's right down to the bottom of his character that I feel like that gets right to the core of how he is with people and how he is with uh, like how he is with women especially and uh, yeah no I think he's such a sweetheart he's so kind of protective and lovely and I love his little line as well where she says I can't steal her she's a person not a goat Yeah. yeah, like he has experience. It's like, but I mean, in from the right, from the from the wrong character, that line you just mentioned would sound so wrong. It's like that. Oh, I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave. Ugh. Yeah, like, yeah. If, if it's not for this kind of lovesick puppy of a man, then <laughs> yeah, all in context, all in context. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I don't. The cliffhanger's fine this week. It's just a bit like I feel like I've seen every TV show do something like this, where we think, "Oh no, a character's dead," when like they just turn up next week and it's whatever. Like, it's not necessarily that. I think it's more that because you see him walking back and then suddenly he's behind him. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, the way it's all arranged and stuff is a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's all a bit been done before. I feel like in a show where. Even just this week, it's showing me things and doing things that I have never seen on television before and haven't seen on television since, actually. This show is, like, just for doing things that I've never seen before and giving me something new and giving me an amazing experience every time I turn it on. This show is, like, the ultimate for that for me. Whereas the end of the episode is like, yeah, I think I've seen shows do this before. and Well... I mean, do you think it's like an extra beat? Because if you think that handing the baby over to the White Walkers would have been a cliffhanger ending in itself. Yeah. It's like, John's seen this, but how do you explain that to people without people saying, no, you're fucking mad, White Walkers are dead. Uh, Yeah, precisely. So, you know, I mean, and also that is another thing as well. That's the first time John has seen a White Walker. Yeah. Um, So, and it's also the first time we've seen a white walker since the pilot since the pilot so yeah. since the first yeah. scene of episode one 11 episodes it's been and we finally uh, finally got there um i don't know if you've got anything more to say about um Craster's keep or even the episode itself this week uh no no not at all no in that case i'm gonna ask you for your loser joffy baratheon's not here this week so <laughs> so who takes no. it this week it was actually a bit of a tough one this week because I don't think in this episode we have like an overarching antagonist like we usually do with, you know, Joffrey or mm. Littlefinger in previous episodes as much as he's here. Um, so my nomination is actually Stannis Baratheon. It's, you know, it's stuff we've gone into in that he's he's obviously not really sure what he's getting himself into, but he's just throwing himself at this opportunity because well, is he ever going to get another opportunity? It just it seems very naive for somebody who wants to be king. Right. Um, and your winner, who's your favourite this week? Arya. Cool, yeah. yeah. <laughs> feel like I'm going to have a big smile whenever you nominate her. <laughs> Next week, we have got season two, episode three, which is What is Dead May Never Die which is something that was said this week at the Iron Islands, so I imagine we'll be spending a bit of time there next week. We will be back in seven days' time. Uh, Look after yourselves. The stuff that's playing us out is my stuff. Um, As I said, 
got an EP out in a few weeks. I'm going to keep promoting it until it's out. And then once it's out, <laughs> I might mention it again. Hey, I think I've just realised as well, this time next week, uh, we should have a new US president. If it all goes oh, yeah? to plan. Fingers crossed. If, if things go to plan and no one's... Killed in trial Killed by combat. Shot. Oh, yeah, in trial by combat, yes. Yeah. <laughs>